Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for your word and we thank you that it challenges us and blesses us. And we ask you to help us to wrestle with us until, wrestle with the word until it blesses us. We pray that these words will be worthy of you. Amen. What are Christian women like? What are Christian women like? What are women who go to church like? Any thoughts? Amazing. <laughs> Christian women are amazing. We're all different. Anyone else? What do you, what do you think of when you hear of the, of the term Christian women? What springs to mind? Caring. Caring. So this is what it says in the Bible. The sort of woman, an ideal woman, the kind of woman who the mother of King Lemuel would want for her son. It's in Proverbs 31, if you want to read along. She would be noble. She'd work with her hands. She'd provide for her family. She'd earn her own money and decide how it's spent. She would discern which fields to buy. She'd be physically strong. She would be a profitable tradesperson, generous and kind-hearted to the poor. She's an artisan. She is wise. She is loved by her children. She is in charge of the household and household affairs. She is clothed with strength and dignity. She sounds incredible. <laughs> and I wish she was my mentor. <laughs> and I wish she helped me to manage my diary because I don't know how she packs all that in. <laughs> is this the way Christian women are portrayed? Is this the way we're expected to behave? There's a lot of literature out there describing how our religion, among others, and our culture, among others, creates the idea that women beguile men. We are temptresses who are not to be trusted. The fault is with women. How we act, how we dress, how we speak, what we say, we are to blame. This beguiling force in us needs to be squashed so that good men don't do bad things to us. So if you're wondering why the topic of Jesus and women features in a sermon series, it's for the same reason that I have such a lot of books in my study on scripture and women, theology and women, leadership and women, ministry and women, and a growing collection of books on black theology, because there's a link between the two and it's not a good one. It's a sad truth in our collective history as Christians, we haven't regarded and valued people who are black or people who are women as we should. Both groups have been ignored, degraded, held back, not listened to, even assaulted and violated. And what's worse is that Christians have used the Bible to justify these terrible sins against God's precious children who are black and God's precious children who are women. They've suffered countless injustices throughout history and continue to today. My book collection on these subjects is increasing because I want to know the truth and I'm just not hearing it in church. Next slide, please. 
In the decade that I've been a Christian, I've only heard one sermon on racism, and that's one that I preached last summer. I've actually never heard a sermon about women. Now, maybe I've just been really unlucky, or maybe we need to talk more about these things in our churches. We were reminded in today's reading from Genesis that all people are made in God's image, so we have inherent value within us. Or, as black Anglican minister Esau Macaulay says, God is our creator, and he will have a word for anyone who attempts to mar the image of God, our maker, in any person. So with that scriptural truth as our starting point, and leaving the pressing issue of racism for now, because it deserves its own space and its own sermon, let's turn to Jesus and women. If you remember nothing else from today's sermon, remember this. If you're a woman, Jesus loves you. If you have a daughter, next time you see her, tell her Jesus loves her. Tell your sisters and your mothers and your aunties and your grannies. Jesus loves women. Jesus thinks they are wonderful. They really matter to God. And Luke, the evangelist, really wants us to know that. That is the long and short of my talk. And here are the details. We already know that Luke's gospel has a big emphasis on Jesus' compassion for our social outcasts, for the poor, for the lost. We already know that Luke highlights the fact that all people matter to Jesus. But did you know that from beginning to end and through into Acts, Luke pays a lot of attention to women. He writes about women who are household servants, about tradeswomen, about business leaders and intellectuals. He writes about how Jesus' mother Mary was fundamental in taking part in building up the early church. Let's turn our attention just to the gospel, though. Let's look for ourselves at his clear theology of worth and dignity for women, made in God's image and co-equal with men. So, chapter one, back one, please. Chapter one is all about Elizabeth and Mary. If we could just go back one slide. Elizabeth and Mary, Mary's song, The Magnificat, and Elizabeth giving birth to John the Baptist. In chapter two, Mary gives birth, and she takes Jesus to Jerusalem where he's presented. And in Jerusalem is the prophet Anna. And when Anna sees Jesus, she knows he is the one everyone has been waiting for. And 84 years old, leaves the temple, goes out and proclaiming that he is the one. He is the one we've been waiting for. She is the first evangelist. Mary is mentioned again when Jesus is left behind at the temple. And then in chapters 4 and 7, Jesus heals women. Later in chapter 7, he is anointed by a sinful woman. More on that later. In chapter 8, we hear of women who have been cured of evil spirits and diseases, traveling with him and the apostles. Among them, women are mentioned. They are named as Mary Magdalene, Joanna, and Susanna. His mother Mary, again, she appears in chapter 8. Jesus raises a dead girl, and she, he heals a sick woman suffering from excessive menstrual bleeding. Chapter 10, we've got the story of Mary and Martha. Chapter 8, Luke recounts a moment when a woman is in a crowd and she calls out to Jesus, Blessed is the mother who gave birth to you and nursed you. Chapter 13, Jesus heals a crippled woman on the Sabbath. In 18, he tells a parable about a woman. And in chapter 21, there's the poor widow who makes her offering at the temple. 
Next slide, please. In chapter 23, a large number of women followed Jesus on his way to his crucifixion and they mourned. And after his death, it was the women who remained at the cross when others had left. In chapter 24, it was Jesus' female followers who went to his tomb to prepare his body and were the first to discover he had risen. They were the first to tell others of his resurrection and they are named as Mary Magdalene, Joanna and Mary, the mother of James and others. Next slide, please. So it seems to me that by having women turn up all over the gospel, all over the pages, as central characters, as supporting actors, as extras, Luke is saying, not only does Jesus accept women, but he thinks they're really important in all their diversity, with all their different gifts and backgrounds. They were with him, they were around him. They were part and central to his ministry. They were his friendship group. And in Luke's gospel only, we hear of the women who funded Jesus' ministry, Mary Magdalene, Joanna, and Susanna, and many others. Luke writes, these women were helping to support them out of their own means. Now, isn't that kind of strange that the Son of God, who can turn water into wine, didn't turn stones into coins? Now, last month, we heard from Matt that Jesus could have held up his hands over whole crowds and healed them at once, but he didn't. He went to them individually, touching and healing. Jesus cares about individuals, and Jesus cared about these women. I think that is why he received from them. That is why he said, through allowing them to support his ministry, that they had something special to give. He said, your generosity counts, your role, your ministry counts. I think that tells us a lot about women as they're seen in the kingdom of heaven. So we've wandered right through the gospel and a little bit beyond into Acts, and we've established that Luke wants us to know that Jesus loves and values women, that Luke says Jesus gives women worth and dignity. So let's see that in action in chapter 7. Jesus is invited round to a Pharisee's home. So clearly this is a man wealthy enough to hold such a party. And Jesus, the rabbi, is receiving hospitality. He's reclining at a low table. Nothing unconventional so far. But then Luke introduces the challenge, and not from Jesus this time, but from the sinful woman as described, a woman known in town to lead a sinful life. Some theologians argue that it's obvious that she was a prostitute. Everyone at the table recognizes her. Others say there's not enough evidence for that and that there are plenty of ways someone could be thought of as sinning outwardly by Pharisees. Now, picking grain on a Sunday is something that springs to my mind. Whatever her sins, whatever the men at the table considered her sins to be, she certainly does go on to do something extraordinary, something scandalous. Next slide, please. She walks up behind one of the guests, the rabbi. He's laying down and she kneels or lays at his feet and she's visibly weeping, her tears dropping and touching his bare feet. It's scandalous because her hair is loosened and covered and flowing. It's scandalous because she uses her hair to wipe his feet, to mop up her tears from his, from his skin. 
scandalous because now she is kissing him. She kisses Jesus' feet, then pours perfume on them. This is the scene that Luke gives us. This is what it looks like. This is a dinner party to which a woman, possibly a prostitute, has walked in. And in a huge display of emotion, she has thrown herself at the feet of one of the guests. It's intimate, it's public, it's outrageous. But what is most shocking of all is what happens next. Puncturing the highly charged and probably very uncomfortable atmosphere, maybe there was sneering, lewd comments, laughter, embarrassment. We know that Simon mutters, he should know better than to let this sort of woman touch him. Puncturing this atmosphere is Jesus' response. Simon, he says, still reclining while she rubs perfume on his feet and kisses him. Simon, I have something to tell you. Jesus goes on to illustrate with a short story how a person who knows they owe a great debt loves all the more when their debt is forgiven. And then Jesus turns to her, to the woman, and he says, do you see this woman? Do you see her? Obviously they can see her, but do they see her? They've talked about her as if she's not there. They look at her as a distasteful object, as an embarrassment, a thing of desire, perhaps. Maybe some of the men there have known her. They don't see her as a child of God. Do you see this woman, Jesus asks. Then he rounds on Simon in front of his guests. Yes, Jesus, this is the Jesus we know who cares little for social graces and cares everything for social justice. He raises his voice, he's mad. I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Jesus redefines roles in this party, in this household. He raises her to host. He gives her dignity and worth. He lambasts Simon for not showing him hospitality, but this woman has. She's done more than anyone. She is the true host.